listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, everybody. Brand new series, new year. If you have anything to take notes with, pull that out right now. That little weekly has an area on the back that you can take notes. Brand new series called What Your Life Is Missing. Is there anybody excited about having a new series today? Can we just like excited about that? I am. And uh, today is going to be this great opportunity to realize some of those things. Uh, There are godly principles that we're going to present to you to show you what might be missing in your life, whether you're brand new to Christianity whether you've been a Christian for a long time and just really want to live it out this year, or whether you're a seasoned Christian, there might be something missing. We want to fill in those gaps. I don't think the series will disappoint. I think it's going to fill in those gaps. And, and what I believe is this. This is the big idea, the thesis, if you will, for this whole series. Write this down. Many people at the new year have high hopes, and they want great things for their life, yet their hopes are not realized because they're missing something. It's one thing to like set your New Year's resolution, which by the way, New Year's resolutions never work, but, but it's one thing to be like, it's going to be different this year, and you get all jazzed about it, and you, I'm telling you, and you start your Bible reading plan, and I'm telling you, Leviticus is where Bible reading plans go to die, everybody. I'm just, and, and, and you have high hopes, but what happens? You're missing something else, and what we want to do is give you what that is. You'll have the tools, and then you can run with everything God wants to work out in your life. Hope is a good thing, I will say. But hope is not going to change your life. Hope might get you started. It might get you revved up. might get you going. But hope will not keep you going. Hope has a shelf life to it all. And and at New Chapel, we work to give you these on-ramps. Common verbiage here at church is like next steps for what God has for you. We work hard to give you these opportunities. And, And here's my opportunity for you at the start of the year. Give us a year of your life. If you think visiting New Chapel like once every couple of months or like four, six times a year is going to do it, it's not going to tip the scales. But if you plug into everything that God has for you here, and I'm talking about everything, like church is happening, church is on, I'm there. We're having a prayer meeting, I'm there. Kids got kids, get kids, perfect. I have middle school age, high school age, they're, they're going to youth, like everything we do. Small groups, great, I'm in small groups, awkward, it's awful, awkward, I'm, I'm going though. And like it's everything we, if you do it, here's my promise, and I guarantee it. I don't think there's a way that it can't happen. If you go all in, this will be the finest year of your life because it will be the closest year that you've had to Jesus spiritually and it can't help but work out victory in your walk with him. Amen, somebody? And, and it's habits, it's, it's this rhythm, this, this like metronome, if you will. There's, there's an ebb and flow to life. And when you get these rhythms in place in your life, it'll change your life. And we form our habits and our habits form us, positive or negative. You already have habits in your life and it has, is really a picture of who you are. I'm encouraging you today to maybe shift some different habits into your life because we become what we repeatedly do. And that's not Bible, that's Aristotle, but it's true. You become what you do. And, and, and so, though it's challenging, it's doable. These five principles that I'm going to give you over the next several weeks, they are, I mean, they're challenging things, but they are doable. And when you do them, you'll see breakthrough. Anything amazing, anything that is a victory, anything that's breakthrough, anything that's a, a spiritual harvest in this world, it doesn't come easy, everybody. 
It is hard sometimes to see. I've even said this before in counseling to people. I said, listen, sometimes you have to get angry to get free. But I'm telling you, it is doable. And if you can implement these things over the next several weeks into your life, you'll see breakthrough. And here's the good news. Although it's hard, God will help you along the way. He will prop you up on your lean-in side if you're country like Pastor Joe. Anybody else? Some of you are looking at me like, what? Country folk, you have a leaning barn. You prop it up on that leaning side, baby. Let me give you scripture for it because you're looking at me like you still don't get it. He broadens the pathway beneath your feet that you might not slip. And so God will help you in this process, even though some of these things will be a challenge. Because you set resolutions every year, and you break resolutions every year. And you want to be different, but you keep on making excuses. And we want to help you deal with those excuses. And that, by the way, makes me think of a story from the North Country. How many of y'all are just excited about hearing a story from where Pastor Joe grew up? You excited about that? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. Croton Cliff, he's driving around that pond, going 100 miles an hour, swerving all over the place, fishtailing. And one of his buddies, who's a police officer, sees it and goes, oh, Lord, Cliff's going to kill himself, and pulls Cliff over. And Cliff pulls over the car and rolls down the window on his old pickup. And the officer comes up to the guy and says, Cliff, you were going over 100 miles an hour around Croton Pond. This is crazy. And he says, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. He says, no, we're going to have to give you a breathalyzer test. And Croton Cliff says, well, you can't do that. He says, I'm an asthmatic. And I'll die if you give me a breathalyzer test. You can't do it. And so the cop says, all right. Well, then what we're going to have to do is give you a blood test. He says, no, I'm a hemophiliac. If you give me a blood test, you're going to kill me. I'm not going to die because you pulled me over. You're wrong. He says, well, fine. Then we're going to have to give you a urine test. He says, I'm a diabetic. It's going to come up wrong every time. He says, well, get out of your car, and I want you to walk on a straight line. He says, I can't do that. He says, well, why? He says, I'm drunk. I don't care who you are. That's funny. <laughs> My people I grew up with. And that, that's what we're here to do is to help you to cut the excuses that you make in your life and actually give you something that's going to work. Now, you're going to need three things on this journey over the next five weeks. Jot these down. The first one that you're going to need, it's a requirement. You're, you're going to have to have hope for the future. Write that down. Hope for the future. It's going to require hope. You need some hope. And as I say that, as the prerequisite, some of you are like, well, I'm out. Because it seems pretty hopeless. It seems pretty hopeless. Uh, our marriage is not going to change. Our finances are just nasty. It's dark, Pastor Joe. Our emotions are, are, are off the chart. Like, I just, I, I don't see, I, I have no hope. I am hopeless. It's not going to happen in my life. And I have a word for you today. I believe it's a word from God. You may not be able to ascend that hill and be able to be like, okay, I got hope. But listen to me. God can. And if you only knew who he was, you would be able to see hope like you can't imagine. One quick story, I got to tell you. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus is encountering a woman. Uh, she's at a well, and he goes up. He's thirsty. And if you read this, for those of you that like extra homework, John 4 is the chapter. You can read the whole thing. But Jesus goes up, and he asks for a drink of water. And if you read it, you're going to think in kind of like modern times, the last several decades is your lens, and you're going to be like, man, it almost seems like Jesus is being demanding, like he's not respecting her as a woman. He's like, woman, get me a drink. 
But it actually, if you read it in the context of the culture of the time, it was an incredible honor for Jesus to ask her for a drink. Why? Number one, culturally, men would not, godly men would not have been talking with other women, not knowing if it was another man's wife. We got to bring that one back. Number two is, uh, <laughs> you can talk to Kai, relax. Uh, number two, not for any other reason that you just thought, but just to say hi. Number two, <laughs> this woman was a Samaritan. This was a different race than the Jews. And this is Jesus, typical Jesus, walking in and totally disregarding gender barriers and race barriers and going and having a godly moment with somebody who he wants to change their life. It's pretty amazing. So he says, get me a drink. And she gets him a drink out of the well, and he's drinking, and he says, are you married? And she says, oh, sir, I've had five husbands. And the word of knowledge, the gift of the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. And Jesus prophesies to her. He says, uh, well, that's true, you've had five husbands, and the one you shacking up with ain't yours, which is another bout of country, but it was true. And, and, and in other words, you've had five, and now this one is the sixth. In other words, he's saying, I'm stepping into your life, and I'm the seventh. And he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he's not going to be like this other man. It's very funny if you read the account, but uh, the woman... <laughs> She actually says back to Jesus, she says, uh, I perceive thou art a prophet. <laughs> like, anyway, it's funny to me. But, but, but here's what Jesus said to that lady in John 4 and verse 10. Let me read it for you. He, he answers her and he says, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink and I'd give you fresh living water. And here's what I want you to see. If you knew who I was, if you, if you knew who I am. If, if you knew Jesus, you'd have hope automatically because you'd see the difference in all of it. But why do we become hopeless? Because we lose sight of him. And so, friend, if you came in here hopeless, you're in the right place. And I hope today you can see a clear picture of Jesus because there's hope in the room. There's hope in the house. Can, can I hear an amen, everybody? Come on. And so... I have a front seat to life change. I see it every week. I get to hear the like before and I get to see the after. And I'm telling you, there's hope in the house. We say, Pastor Joe, I don't know what to do. I don't know next steps to take. Even if I had hope, I don't know what to do. That's okay. Jeremiah, and by the way, this was written when the, the Jews were in exile. They were in slavery. And God freed them from all of that. It says this in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know. I don't know what to do. I know, God says, I know the plans I have for you. It's plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He always puts this preface in. Listen, you can trust me. I'm not going to hurt your life. This isn't a harm to your life. That's the, that's the big test, right? We're like, ah, I'll trust you, but is it okay? I'm not going to harm you. It's plans to give you, here it is, hope and a future. In fact, that's where your future actually is. It's in the hand of God Almighty. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Second thing that you're going to need on this journey, you're going to need some hope. And then the second thing, write it down. You're going to have to repent from the past. Repent. Uh, When I say that word for some of you that grew up in a more denominational or traditional setting, uh, some of those churches were great, but some of them, you're remembering things, and it's striking fear into your heart. Maybe it's of a nun, like, whipping a eraser at your head, like, with anger, like, trying to hurt you, you know, and, and it's repent, you're just, ugh. <laughs> Let me just defuse the bomb for a second, because I kind of upset myself there. 
Here's what it is. It's not you wailing on the ground, bawling. And, here's what repent means. It's course correction. You're going this way, and it's not working. You're going to have to go the other way. Repent means it's a pit, any, any military people, it's about face. You know, talk about everybody, like it's turning. And, and there are some things in our life, in fact, can I put it this way? There's something in all of our lives that we should never go back to. I heard this story this week. Uh, it's, it's used in a lot of recovery groups, and it's called the five-chapter story, my life in five chapters. Chapter one goes like this. I went for a walk, and I fell into a deep, dark hole, and it was very difficult to get out. Chapter two, I went for a walk, and I fell in the same dark hole, and it took a really long time to get out. Chapter three, I went for a walk, but this time I saw the hole, but I got a little bit too close. I slipped in, and it took me a really long time to get out. Chapter four, I went for a walk. I was thinking about that hole, and I avoided the hole the whole time. Ah, breakthrough. Chapter five, I went on a different street. And for some of you in your Christian walk, you've oscillated in between chapter one and chapter four, somewhere in there. And even on your best, you're like, nope, no, I'm not going on that hole again. I'm not doing that thing. No, I'm not going to do it. You, just, you get so upset about it. You're just sin management and behavior modification. I'm not going to do it. And here's what God wants you to do. Stop doing all of that frustrating and just go on a different street. You got to turn, a little course correction. We're going to repent from thinking we can act. I don't trust my flesh. I can't go down that road anymore. I can't do the things I used to do because I know me. And so I've got to go down a different road. Can I hear an amen, somebody? That's what Paul conveyed in the book of Philippians. He wrote so much of the New Testament. And this is what he said. He says, I don't think that I'm all that in a bag of chips. Now, that's my translation. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind. And I strain. He says, I press towards what is ahead of me. I can't go back that way anymore. That street has nothing for me. And so for some of us in the room, this is the word you needed to hear. You need permission almost, like stop doing it and acting like you can handle it. You can't and we can't. So go on a different road. What are you saying? Give us a year. Go to group, go to small group, go to New Chapel Connect, serve on a team, uh, attend services, take down the notes. Like, you got to stop doing, if, if you keep doing the same thing, you're, <sighs> write this down. Third thing you're going to need. So you're going to need some hope. You're going to repent from the past. You're going to have to form some new practices in your life. If you don't replace what you have had, it's going to come back seven times worse, everybody. If you don't fix this thing, if you don't, and it's not just avoiding the hole. Again, it's a different street, and I'm going to fill my life with different things, different things, different practices in my life. When you have those begin to bubble up to the surface, that's where you're going to be able to stay away from that junk. That's where you're going to be able to have victory in so many spots. It's a new way, and and listen, it's not easy. Throw up that scripture, guys. I want you to say the first part of this passage with me. Romans 12, say the first part. One, two, three, go. Your attention on God. That is the secret to your life change. 
Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed. Here it is, inside out. You're trying to make a resolution and change outside in. Buddy, it don't work because chocolate chip cookies still taste good. You're going to have to change this and not want that anymore. I, don't, I, I actually don't want it anymore. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike culture always dragging you down, God brings the best out. And what does he do? He develops that well-formed maturity. What is that? That's that ability. I'm not going down that road. I'm going down this road. And you shouldn't go down that road either. I have changed. And I believe this, that in 365 days, should the Lord tarry, if you are at New Chapel and you jumped in all the way, both feet, I'll do whatever, however crazy I think it is, whatever y'all got going on, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray. If you come back 365 days later, you're going to say, my life is fundamentally different. Inside out, I, my life has pancaked, and God did what he said he would do. Anybody else know that to be true in this place? And so with this series, we're going to give you five principles, and these principles will unlock so much. The first one I'm going to give you today, it's what today's message is all about. Write this down. What your life is missing is really whatever's in first place. We need to focus on what we do first. If there is one thing in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, that is a constant theme in in your Bible, it is the the principle of priority. It, It is this concept of God being first, the first thing, the principle of first. I can tell more about you, the condition of your soul, your faith in God, or lack thereof, on what is happening first place in your life. And so I'm going to give you three big headings today. The second point has a gazillion subpoints underneath it because I'm me and you're you. And, and I want to give them to you today. Jot this down. Number one, we need to put God first. Number one, we need to put God first. Yep. Write that down. Tattoo it on your forehead. <laughs> put sticky notes all over your car. Put God first. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And, and if God is first this next year, this will be a totally different year in your life. And, and i got to say something. It's pretty severe but I have a license to do this. And so if you say God is part of your life, but he's not first in your life, look at me. He's not part of your life. And that might sound hard. Well, Pastor Joe, I want to add Jesus to my life. It doesn't work that way. In fact, it's a theological point. The, The Bible would convey the preeminence of God. In other words, he is preeminent. He is first he doesn't have the capacity within him to take second place or any place else on that list. It's God first, or you might not be aware of something. And, and so God has to be first, and he is able to say that to us for a very good reason. He modeled for us this very principle. God gave us his first and his best when he sent Jesus into this world. And he says, look, Jesus is going to go. He's going to go first. He's my only son. And because he went He's going to give you all of my life. But here's the exchange. You have to give him all of yours. You win on that exchange. And, and if he's going to go first, and, I, and, and if he wants me to put him for soul, that's, that's what this is. Christianity is not about you being a good doobie. Christianity is not about you wearing a gold cross on your neck. Christianity is not about who you believe in. 
I said that last service, and I'm telling you, somebody's jaw hung open when I said, it is not about you believing in Jesus. Put down your phone and stop Googling the Baptist church. Leave me alone. Look at me. The Bible says in James, even the demons believe and shudder. It's not whoever just believes that he exists. It's whoever not believes in the Lord, whoever believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, everything is on you. You are first place in my... Christianity is not you adding Jesus to your little world and he's in your orbit. Christianity is you reorganizing everything on your list to put him number one wherever he needs to be. Now, that's severe, but listen to me. That's Christianity. The alternative, consumer Christianity, it's a false gospel. Run. Because if he's just an appendage to whatever you got going on, God is no bigger than what you can reason. Wouldn't it stand that God, a rogue Jesus, would stand outside of everything you could comprehend and ask some things of you that might not be on your radar? That's a God, not a religion. It's good preaching, Pastor. Get him. Okay. We'll get We'll get them all. (laughs) The first four words of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Now, I'm going to teach this to you like maybe a preacher would preach it. And I'm taking it a little bit out of context, but here's the idea. If you started everything in your life like that, it would be a great principle to have. Like before you start a job, before you start a day, before you jump into a serious conversation. Hey, in the beginning of all this, I'm talking to God about it. God, what do you want in this? What do you desire of it? In the beginning, God. Say amen, somebody. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. It says it in the book of Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these words. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the lands of slavery. You shall have no other lowercase g, no other gods before me. Is that talking about idols? Surely. There's no such thing as other gods. It's demonic forces that would present themselves. I'm sorry, there's nothing in Islam, there's nothing in in any Hinduism and Buddhism, there's nothing in any uh, Zoroastrianism, there's nothing in, it's, 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 it's without substance. Boy, that sounds savage. It sounds like me today, I don't know. But it, that's just the truth. The substance is in Jesus. It's in Jesus. There's one God. But he says, have no other gods before me. What is that talking about? Have no other loves Have no other passions before me. In other words, it's okay for you to be passionate about other things. It's okay to have other loves. You can love golf. You can love running. I don't know why you would, but God bless you. know, Kyle likes to go ice skating. I can't stand that stuff. But you can have other loves. NBA, football. Like, you can just can't be first. You can have nothing before him. It's him first. He's first before everything that we do. You can have passions about other things. Some of you love your career, and you feel like, maybe you've been in a message like this before, like you're pit against your own career. That's not God. God called you to your career. What he doesn't want is your career to be a God for you. Your career makes a very bad God. But if you have alignment, if God is first, it'll align the rest. Amen, somebody. Amen, Amen or oh me, I don't know. Okay. God will not take another place in your heart. Okay, that's number one. Number two, write it down. So God's first. Let's give God first of everything. God, I'm going to put you first in everything. When most preachers preach about this, they they typically are talking about just money. And they're doing it in such a way that they can build buildings. 
and, and, and start projects and, and have programming. And, and honestly, uh, it rubs me a little bit the wrong way because I think it's very limited. Uh, and, and that's not all what it's about. I'm not saying their motive is bad. Maybe their motive is great. They're just trying to do the work of the ministry. I get that. I feel that. But I think that when we talk about tithing and we talk about putting God first in everything, it is so limited because it is not just a financial principle. Money's on the list, believe me. It's just not the first thing on the list when it comes to this concept of a tithe. Let me read it for you. It says this in Leviticus 27. A tithe of what? Everything. Your land, your grain, your soil, fruit, your job. What does it do? It belongs to the Lord. The Bible says it's holy to the Lord. Holy means set apart for a specific purpose. And so what does it say? Tithe of, every, tithe of your thoughts. Tithe of, tithe of your motives. A tithe of your day. God is very interested. A tithe of your time. And it's all towards the purpose. What's the purpose? Deuteronomy 14, the purpose of tithing. The Bible tells you very clearly. Purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. Now, financially, oh, listen. Tithing as a, as a new believer all the way through to tithing as somebody that's been doing it for decades. It's this constant memorial of, God, you are first place, and I trust you as my source. It is this thing that you're preaching to yourself that the government is not your source, everybody. Should have been louder than that, but that's your job. Your boss is not your source. Some of y'all get so upset at your boss thinking that he might be holding you back, holding you back from some promotion. I'm telling you, you work as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord, and God is your provider. He's using that boss at that time. But if you look at God as your source, he'll meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen, somebody? And so this tithe, the purpose of it is to have God be first always in our life. And praise God for financially uh, people tithing. We're able to accomplish things here at the church, expand the sanctuary out. That's all good and godly and true and right. But that is not the purpose. That is the byproduct. The, The purpose is this thing in you, the believer, that says, God, you're first. I can't do it without you. I can't take my next breath without you. This constant memorial. Somebody in the room, maybe you're dealing with this. I, I, I might, this might be God. You say, well, it's of the law. The tithe is of the law. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. The tithe predates the law. It predates the law. God put Adam and Eve in a garden with a tree of life to steward and a tree of knowledge of good and evil to stay away from. They had to keep the whole garden. God is always going to put something in your life for you to steward but not enjoy. And further, with the tithe, you're not giving it. You're returning it to the Lord. Why? It's all his. It's, I don't know, maybe we should show for service instead of second. This is a pretty heavy message, my Lanta, but... The idea is that we, is it, is it zipping out? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, everybody. That's why you didn't say amen? That's my first mistake of the year, everybody. We do what we can. And so we need this constant memorial of the goodness of God in our life. And so we need to take this principle from God. Let me give you some application with all of this. First thing I would say with giving God the first of everything is we need to give God the first of our, write it down, first of our year. First of your year. Hey, you're at church today. Great job. Keep it up. First of your year. And church is a massive part of what's going to make your spiritual growth 
become a reality. And, and so settle that truth in your heart that church needs to be a feature. Well, what does church have going on? I'm so glad you all asked. Write these down, a couple of things. This Wednesday, if you have a middle schooler or high schooler, we have a youth program here called Student Culture, and we invite your middle school age, high school age, young person to come out. Pastor Brian's going to be preaching, and, and here's the name of the event. It's called the 11 Days After New Year's Party, which is the best excuse for a party we could come up with. We're going to eat free food, give free giveaways like we always do, and talk to your young person on their level. Get them out. And I, I, I'm going to say, if they hit all of our student culture nights, your young person will be better off for it. Uh, here's another thing that's happening is our newcomer's reception is on the 29th of this month. If you're brand new to New Chapel or maybe a couple weeks in or you've been 007 Christian and zipping in and zipping out as quick as you can, I just want to invite you on the 29th to come after the 11 o'clock service to the newcomer's reception. And the idea is there's no curriculum, there's no agenda. We just want to shake your hand. I think we should be at a church that, that wants to grow and grow relationally, but I want to do it in a way that we can actually make connection and trek with each other. And, and I don't want you to come and be part of what I've seen in culture, which is a consumer Christianity. And we have a great Sunday morning product, if you will, but the truth is this. You need more than just a Broadway show to come to on a Sunday morning. You need somebody else on earth to know your name and care about you and be... Am I telling the truth or not? You need somebody in your life. And, and so you need to be here for the newcomer's reception. We're not going to insert ourselves into your world. It will be relational and natural, but come back and have some meatballs and shake a hand and, and hear about Kai and I's story, and we'll let you go. And, and you can stay, uh, your kids can stay back in New Kids. They're on their own. We're going to get them their own food, and you can come meet us. Why is everybody laughing over here? Man, my la- I don't know. Meatballs, just excited. Next thing, small groups start at the end of this month. The week of the 29th, small groups are going to be beginning. If you've never been in a small group and you're like, that does not sound like me. does not sound like me to go hang out with Bible club with 10 people and we're all high-fiving each other and somebody's going to break out olive oil and like douse us or something. Listen, I want you, manly man, I want you, sweetheart, to think of yourself in a small group. And it is not Hotel California where you can, like, try one and, like, Ugh, but you, can't, you can check out, but you can't leave. It's not Hotel California. You could you bop around to all of them. I don't care. But you've got to find your people. You've got to find your people. And, and on Sunday morning, real life change isn't going to happen in this room. The epitus for life change will. But life change is going to be worked out in the context of community and a life-on-life discipleship in a small group. That's when it's going to be worked out. That's when you can ask questions. It'd be out of order for you to raise your hand and ask, Pastor, I don't agree with that. You know, I mean, it'd just be weird. But in a small group, you can ask anything you'd like. You can ask anything you like. And so you need to grow in depth. And the best way to grow in spiritual depth is relationally. And why do we do all of that? I'm leaning into the programming that this church is offering because I need it in my life. If God doesn't show up in my life in 2023, I'm, it's not going to happen. I can't lead this church. I can't lead my family. I can't, I can't take another step. I need for this to be active in my life, and I need it, and the truth is this, so do you. 
You need this active in your walk with God. You need to lean into all of it. So the first of your year. Next thing is this, write it down. You need to give God the first of your month. The first of your month. Write that down. First of your month. You need some godly rhythm. Think of like an ebb and flow, a metronome. There's just this, this rhythm to your life, and church is a part of it. And in the first part of your month, you need to be thinking about, write it down, scheduling and budgeting. Write that down, scheduling and budgeting. So Kai and I, we're church kids. So our schedule's pretty easy. God's first in our life. But one thing I want to share is that God is first, and Kaya is second on my schedule. I still date that girl. I don't go out with guys and do a whole bunch of things, and there's nothing wrong with doing that if you can fit it in. But the first person on my schedule after God is Kaya because those children are going to be leaving my house when they turn 18 in Jesus' name. I can't wait. I'll send them a Christmas card. Right? If you find work. And so with Kaya, I date that woman because she's going to be in my life forever. She deserves that. She's first after God. And so there's a godly order and priority. I could preach a whole sermon just on that. But as far as budgeting, the first thing that the Bevelacquas do financially, it is scheduled, is that we tithe. We tithe. So 10% of our gross income goes back to the house of God, and it is worship for us. It's not a bill that we pay. We return it to the church because God has done so much. He asks for that perfect. You gave me your life. So it's the first thing that we do financially. I don't want to do anything before that. So we actually scheduled it ourselves on Secure Give because Kaya kept on missing it like we'd go to Myers before and bring the curse on our family. I'm just kidding. But, but it is scheduled and it is something that is massive in our life. So it's the first of our month. Write down this next one. The first of my week. We need to honor God with the first of our week. And again, church is part of that, coming to church every single week. I've been asked before, Pastor Joe, why do we meet on Sunday when the early church, you know, I I guess our Jewish origins, really, they were on the Sabbath, and that was Saturday. Well, Sabbath is Saturday, but Jesus, number one, he rose from the dead on a Sunday, and it became known as the Lord's Day. John, in Revelation, calls it that. It was known in early Christianity. And then number two, synagogue was still happening on Sabbath, Saturday, And so on Sunday, they were able to get into a lot of those local Jewish temples and have Christian church rented out, which this church did for the first half of its existence. And uh, they were able to go in there, and they wanted to start their week with Jesus, not end their week with God. And so uh, two reasons why you need that rhythm, that constant rhythm in your life, this milestone every week of having church. What would your life look like if you had 52 Sundays here? Well, I think it would be better. Amen, somebody? There's a person, and I love her, and she comments on our social media, like, all the time, and she's like, I'm sorry, I can't make it to church. I got to work. And can I just submit this to you with all love and respect? That's not Christianity. If it didn't cost you anything, and you have cheap Jesus, friend, I don't know if that even fits into what we're describing. It's going to cost you something to be here, and I understand that. I understand working on the weekends. In fact, I do, but I know your situation is different than mine, but... I understand just having different schedules, but you're going to have to make that sacrifice because if you get all that money and you're able to buy the new house and get you a more stable car, just even if you're not reaching for the stars, you get all of that, but you lose your kids. But I'm going to tell you, church is cheap. 
Bailing your kids out of prison or jail is expensive. And so what do we need to do? We need to be the people that have this milestone of church in our life. What does it look like? Worshiping and resting. A Sabbath is worshiping and it's resting. Worshiping and resting. So worshiping on a Sabbath moment, so coming into church and then, and then resting. Let me add to it. So uh, some of y'all rest for two days. You have a Saturday and a Sunday off. That's great. That's an invention of the last hundred years. And the Bible says that you shall work six days, and on the seventh you should rest. If you still have those two days off, I would encourage you to spend one of them working for yourself. You work for somebody else, great. Spend one of those days that you have off working for you. And that might be doing repairs on your house, upping things so you can sell it someday, having an Etsy shop. Uh, Maybe it's just even mowing your lawn, but you're working and you're working for yourself. But here's the big challenge. You need a day off where you're doing fun things that you can't make money from. And I'm saying that for the entrepreneurs in the room. Because inevitably, you learn how to water ski, all of a sudden you're selling them and you need to relax because you're stressing us all out. And so here's the deal. Mr. I'm going to work seven days. Wonderful. I've done many, many funerals of people that did seven days. If you want to live long and keep your marriage and keep your family and have your kids respect you, you take a day off. And I'll tell you, it's embarrassing sometimes. My day off, it's like if somebody comes to the door before noon, I have to like run to my bedroom and go get a bathrobe on and Like, I relax on my day off. I take time, and it is a Sabbath. And Sabbath is a principle, not just a day. So if it doesn't land on Saturday for you, it's fine. But you need a day. And if you don't take time to rest and decompress and and also fill yourself up, here's what's going to happen at the Bevelacquas today. I'm going to go home, 2, 3 o'clock, and we're going to have a big old meal. And I don't want Kaya cooking and, like, putting them some cool new recipe. Get the crock pot out. I want something easy so I can just go home and Garfield that thing. You know what I mean? Just, I need to eat. And then I go up to our bedroom, and everybody knows daddy ain't coming out till 6 o'clock. That's when the little ding goes off on the timer. Like, and it takes me forever to get to the spot where I can just rest. I, I rarely sleep. I wish I could more, but uh, I, I rest, and I do it, and it is an act of discipline for me. It is an act of discipline. And, and, and after six, I come out, and I'm going to eat some more with the family. And at the Bevelacquas, we sit around a table, and we all look at each other, and we smile, and we ask about each other's day and ask about what we're interested in, and we talk with one another. And, and we might go for a walk here and there. We might, we might go watch a family movie night, but we are going to rest, and they're going to have that set point. And you think, well, Pastor Joe, you're just giving me good advice. No, listen, if you think of it like good advice, you'll miss it. This is Bible If you want a long life and if you want to hold the family that you have, you must take one day out of your week and rest. And if you don't have time for it, friend, that's why you're chasing your tail. First service was a lot more joyful than this service. I don't know what y'all need in the room, but it's just. You need to give God the first of your day every day, every single day. Here's what it looks like for me. I don't trust my flesh. So when my alarm goes off, I swing my body over, have my feet drape off, and I sit up immediately, or I'm going back to sleep. And I pray a very easy prayer, God, like, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you have for me? Good morning, Lord. I love you. And that's all I really have. Then I go try to find that K-cup button and go hit that. And, and, but I will say this. It is very difficult to get a breakfast meeting with me. In fact, the team has had to discipline me to come in for a 9.30 staff meeting, not because I'm lazy, but because I give the first part of my day every day to God. 
I've got teaching I listen to. I am praying. I am worshiping the Lord. I go literally into my little prayer closet called the shower, and I, I, I see God, everybody, and it's important. And you want, don't y'all want a pastor that is ministering out of the overflow and isn't just coming out of a file and reading some stale old sermon? No, I, I need to hear from God and bring you that. And here's the truth. You need those moments with God. So give God the first thoughts in your day. Give God the first part of your day, your first prayers. Doesn't mean you have to do study like I do, super serious, but I'll say this. Somebody says, well, Pastor, do I have to study the first part of the day? You'll get more out of it if you do. If you read that Bible, if you pray first thing in the day, really lean into it, you'll get way more out of it. Now, for the person that says, I don't know if I could do that, you can't imagine yourself for like maybe even 15 minutes, I want to help you. Write this down. First five minutes of your time with God, spend it in the Word. Spend it in the Word. That might mean reading the Bible. It might mean getting you an audible Bible. It might mean a podcast Bible. And that's a fun hack for those of you that are busy. Uh, I tried to go through the one-year Bible. I always, like, killed the whole thing at Leviticus like everybody else. And so I got the the one-year Bible podcast. And there's several different ones. And you can listen to it. And it takes about 15 minutes, so not five. But if you're cool like me, you can put it in double time and just... Let's get that Bible in, everybody. And so just read through it, right? And so five minutes in the Word, and then five minutes in worship. Five minutes in worship. That's like one song from The Belonging Company. I'm just, I'm just saying. One song where you could just stop and be like, God, I love you. I honor you. Thank you. And then what? Five minutes in prayer. Five minutes in prayer. Write that down. If that shocks you and you're like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. Let me give you a little life hack for prayer. Pray, right? P-R-A-Y. Praise, repent, ask, yield. Praise God. I love you so much. Injuries is courts with thanksgiving. So praise, repent. If you did anything wrong and you held it over this long, deal with it right then and there. Ask. We all have a list. And then yield. Be like, God, I yield my heart, my life, my day to you. Praise, repent, ask, yield. Five minutes. You can fill that up so easy. Heathen could do it. I'm just saying. Five minutes in the Word, worship, and in prayer. That's the first part of your day. It's time with God. Got to press on. Last point. Write this one down. Number three, we need to expect God to bless the rest. So if you put God first, and if you're a person that says, God, I'm going to give you the first of everything, here's what you can do. You can expect God to bless the rest. Not because you're invoicing him or that you deserve it's it's your comeuppance it has nothing to do with that here's what it actually looks like in fact you don't deserve you don't deserve eternity but yet he went to the cross and he made provision for it right and so you have no problem with saying god I, i receive eternal salvation in the same way when you put him first in these different areas you can expect god to move on your behalf not because you deserve it but because he promised that it would happen in your life amen somebody he receives it first and then god blesses the rest so what happens you'll get into a spot where your time that you gave him in the morning that time will be multiplied wasn't it your your finances when you trust god with the tithes you think that that is leaving your life the 90 percent with the blessing of God will go so much further than the 100% without the blessing of God. I know it to be true. You cannot outgive God. Your thoughts that you think about Him in the morning, He will multiply those thoughts. 
People come to the church and they say, oh, pastor, I just think it's great teaching. It's so much wisdom. Look at me. Listen to me. Anything that you like about me, that you love about me, anything that you've enjoyed about me, it is because God has been good to me. And and the thing that you like about me is God's goodness shown through me. It's him. He's multiplied these great thoughts. By myself, I can do nothing. And in Proverbs 3, it says this. And by the way, when I say, hey, ask Jesus what your part to play is every single week, this is exactly what he's going to say to you. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You don't lose out when you trust him. Wow. Now, before I pray for us, I know that within the sound of my voice, there are people who have tried this in the past. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do it. And you've given it the college try. And inevitably, you hit the proverbial Leviticus or something else happened. Or you get to the end of your day and you're like, where did the day go? I wanted to do this. And it has constantly come up short. When I was a new believer, I did that all the time. So I'm not going to cast shade on you. This is actually par for the course on your walk with God. And I remember praying to God about this and and really receiving from the word of God and other things, the fact that the devil will do so much to keep you from putting God first. And so as a young Christian, I worked hard to fit God into my schedule. And I was praying about it. The Lord showed me this. Stop trying to fit me into your schedule. Why don't you just work your schedule around me? See, that's a change from the inside out. Starts with God. We'll see what else can fit into the day. Well, how do you know that you're done reading the word? It's kind of like when you go to the gas station, you're filling it up with gas and all of a sudden it just clicks and you just put it back. That's how you know. And you can limit it to five minutes, whatever. But listen to me, start with God and let everything else fall into place because the first aligns the rest. And my prayer is that you'd be a person that says, God, today I put you as first. I pray that you're saying, God, for now on, I don't care what has to go, what has to be reordered. God, I'm putting you first. No matter what it costs me, I'm putting you first place in my life. And through that, I will see the change that I desire so badly. If you receive it today, can you put your hands together? God's good, amen? Bow your heads with me all over the room. Heavenly Father, I thank you. So many people in the sound of my voice are putting you as first at the start of the year, at the start of 2023. God, I thank you that you're ministering to them. God, I pray that as you showed them while I was preaching areas that they needed to reorder, that, God, they would be willing and bold enough to make those adjustments. God, I pray for men that feel the burden of provision for their home to make the hard decision and lead their family with a day of rest. God, I pray when we put you first, we're able to see your goodness clearer that we're able to change into the people you've called us to be. Our life is missing some things. God, when we plug these things in, I pray for real life change. In Jesus' name, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're in here and as I preached about Jesus being first in your life, if God is not first place, he's on your list, maybe. 
Maybe he's not. If God's not first place and you know that today and you know that you need to reorder some things, just heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. If that's you, could you just slip your hand up, put it right back down, count of three, one, two, three, hands up. All over the room. Now, you can put your hands up. Thank you. The Bible says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is not just calling him Lord, it's giving your heart over to him. And that means that at the end of your life, you'll avoid a Christless hell, you'll have eternity in heaven. This is true. But that eternal life, that peace that you need this year, that thing that's missing, it's on the other end of making him Lord, having him be first on your list. We're going to pray, and if you mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved. Now, church, I want you to pray this with us as a declaration of your faith in support of those people who are praying this for the very first time. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And as you go, you're dismissed. Have a great week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.